If you're enjoying Hatch, you can support the show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It can be a one-off thing. The money is going to be used to support the creation and the launch of season two. So if you're interested in seeing another season come to life, just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'd be so grateful. Welcome to episode six of Hatch. If you're listening for the first time, hi, welcome. I'm Hannah. And each week we have a different creative guest who shares their experience of starting something new. So far on the show, we've had a musician, a cocktail expert, a designer and creative director, a West End performer, and a BAFTA-winning casting director. So if any of those sound interesting to you, be sure to give them a listen. Before we jump into the introduction, I wanted to share that in this episode, James and I discuss Sir Ken Robinson, the British author, speaker, and education advisor. Ken rose to fame after his TED Talk, which a lot of you have probably seen. It's called Do Schools Kill Creativity? And it's been viewed by 380 million people across 160 countries and has influenced schools all around the world. Since the recording of this episode, Ken very sadly passed away of cancer at the age of 70. We are thinking of his family, all of those who knew him and who have been influenced and inspired by him. This week, I'm excited to welcome James Bulmer. James is the founder and chief creative officer of Wonderland Restaurants, and he's building a portfolio of restaurants that offer guests immersive and multi-sensory dining experiences. James and his team have partnered with Warner Brothers to create the first of Wonderland Restaurants, and it's called Park Row, and it opens in London in 2021. James will share much more about that, but let me just say that his restaurants involve whiskey that tastes of fear, and he has a team made up of chemical engineers, Michelin star chefs, and intriguingly, an illusionist. I'm really excited to have James on Hatch, so welcome, James. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me, Hannah. (laughs) It's a pleasure. So, James, you are a born and bred Brit, and it sounds like you've always had a wild imagination. What is your first memory of creativity while you were growing up? Well, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I think you, well, all of our first memories of when we are at that probably come around the age of two, three. For me, it was very much, as a born, born Brit, it was, it was the authors that kind of very much inspired my early stage probably memories and creativity. And that was, my memories were at the end of every evening, kind of having my hot milk, um, trying to sneak a kind of cookie in the back of my pocket as I went upstairs to have my evening story read to me. And often, of course, it was, you know, you would choose these wonderful stories from Roald Dahl, from, you know, Willy Wonka and, you know, The Magic Finger, you know, all of these kind of classic kind of fantasy stories, which were um, the reason why they were so incredible. And I think they're so memorable was you kind of, was the level of description. And the imagery that was kind of conjured by this incredible kind of creative writing that, uh, that Roald Dahl and other authors had this ability to do. And I think that was very much from, from the outset, you know, it was my favourite time of the day. And let's be honest, having someone read to you is still a luxury now that I'd love to happen. So, um, 
So did you always know that you wanted to be in the worlds of storytelling and imagination? What was discovering that like? I mean, I think, again, as, as children, we all love stories. And, and I think what I realised very, very early on, and I probably shouldn't tell this story because my mother will kill me, is that I realised stories were not only enjoyable experiences for you, but also you could use stories to your own advantage and I, and, I, and I think even to this day, my mother kind of hates the fact that I did this, but I worked out that you could take porridge, coffee powder and kind of milk and create what would, um, to most people, look like, uh, unfortunately, sick, um, that I used to use creatively to, um, to get days off school. And now she never knew that until until about 10 years ago. I think it was about my 30th birthday. I decided to to kind of let her in to that period of my life whether it was I wanted to create fantasy worlds I, I realized that storytelling is just and your imagination is just so important in everything you kind of do uh, whether it's you're getting your enjoyment from it or using it to uh, to to get enjoyment <laughs> or a day to your advantage yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it, it's it's funny because it's such a shame that that storytelling and pure imagination is something that's almost deprioritized as a skill in in adults. Totally. I mean, very famously, kind of Picasso uh, said, kids are all born artists. The challenge is, how do you remain an artist as you grow up? And that is that whole kind of, is exactly what you're just saying is, you know, we have it and we lose it as we grow older. How have you remained an artist, do you think? Well, so interestingly, <laughs> probably because I think I wasn't the most academic. I did the standard academic path, you know, GCSEs, A-levels, degree. I struggled with it all. It was all very hard work. So I think because I was probably less academic, it gave me more scope to kind of focus on the other areas that we were doing. And I, and I and will always be just a bit of a daydreamer. You know, daydreaming is is what? Is, is sitting there trying to imagine a new idea that could be valuable to um, to your life or to the greater society. It's kind of like educating out. There's a wonderful podcast by, or sorry, TED Talk by a gentleman called Sir Ken Robinson, who who very he's so incredibly passionate about this area, which is um, our education system is built to kind of educate out imagination and creativity. And actually, in this world where we're going to, you know, we're moving into very quickly, which is all about technology, um, it's the one skill we should be enhancing because it's what makes us, it's what separates us from, from technology. It's what separates us from every kind of being on the planet. So um, I think for me, not being great at school was actually a bonus. (laughs) Yeah. That, that Ted talk by Sir Ken Robinson is, is amazing. And I think it's one of the most watched Ted talks of all time. And in it, he talks about the hierarchy of subjects. So at the top of the hierarchy is the traditional maths and sciences and things. And then then it goes humanities and then it goes arts. And even within the arts, there's apparently a subdivision of importance. And it's just crazy that we've had these hierarchies for all of eternity and that there'll be so many kids throughout history who have all these amazing talents that haven't been untapped because they've been really encouraged or pushed to go down this traditional path that society has deemed acceptable or respectable. So I think that that speech really helped. Sort of, it, it did make waves and helped schools rethink the emphasis that they were placing on creative subjects and disciplines. 
So I think that listeners will be wondering, well, I know I'm wondering, what is a dining experience at a Wonderland restaurant like? Let's just say that Park Row was open and you had a bunch of guests come in tomorrow night. What might that experience be like for them? What we kind of say within Wonderland is we are a food studio, food and drink studio, kind of based on very much the innovation and the multi-sensorial design of um, experiences. One of the first things we did was very fortunately agreed a long-term deal, exclusive deal with Warner Brothers, which we announced at the beginning of this year. And it was just brilliant because, you know, when you're talking about content and amazing worlds to, to uncover and go into, they have them all. What we're doing in this first one, so we're opening um, at the beginning of 21 now, a 24,000 square foot multi kind of faceted world around the, ba- the stories of DC Comics. So Gotham City, you know, Batman, Superman, DC, all these incredible movies. Um, what we're doing very differently, I think, is we are combining that kind of multi-sensorial approach to the design and the food and the drink, and we are elevating the whole concept to a to a level where the food and drink will be completely sophisticated, very premium. The backgrounds of the whole team who have kind of developed the concept are from, from Michelin-style backgrounds, and we're going to use that molecular gastronomy to, to kind of make you feel as the consumer, like the minute you've crossed that threshold into that kind of villainous world, dark, shadowy world, and make you feel like you're, you, you've left London for, for the evening and kind of gone into this kind of theatrical um, environment of Gotham City. I'm curious, though, where where did the idea first stem from? Has it been something you've been thinking about for, you know, years? Did it kind of come to you in the night? <laughs> How did you come up with the concept? I mean, in a, in a really simple way, I just have never really wanted to commit it to growing up. Um, and I haven't as yet. So it was... Are you the real life Peter Pan? <laughs> yeah. Sadly, every time I look in the mirror, I'm realizing I'm not a real life Peter Pan, but... It, it's certainly in, in spirit. I think. Well, I, I, well, this is it, isn't it? When you when you look at your parents and you grow up as a small child, you they're they're your guidance. There's nothing that they can't handle, and they're you know to you as a small child they are old. When you get older, you realise that actually only the outside really kind of ages. The you know the inside is is your is your men, is your outlook. It's your it's it's a state of mind it is a I certainly still sometimes feel turning 40 in the next month um still feel like I am a small child and still very much that pure desire to create a world or create a business which which made people happy brought people together and quite honestly kind of created you know in a physical sense a world where you could dip out of reality into a fancy world have those magical moments of kind of wonderment very much like the Willy Wonkers of this world, you would love to create things that people don't think can exist. And I think that's how I found food and drink. You can create those moments where people go, no way, that didn't just happen. That's amazing. Or that tastes sublime. Or, you know, and that and that's kind of where Wonderline came from was it was my kind of storytelling method. Uh, my tools kind of take you to a, a different world. So in order to bring all of this to life, you've obviously got this incredible team around you. You have a chemical engineer, a Michelin-starred chef, an illusionist, which is just the most fascinating thing. 
Can you talk a little bit about the kind of people that you've really needed in order to bring this whole world and vision to life? Well, and, and again, I suppose this goes back to the essence of what is kind of creativity. And, you know, it's a unique idea that brings value to, to the individuals or the wider community. And how you come up with that creativity has always been, for me, different people come from different sectors, have different skill sets, come at things with different views. And some of the guys, as you quite rarely mentioned, there was a gentleman called Chris Cox. Chris is the lead on uh, the Broadway and West End show, The Illusionists, at core. But actually, what you learn when you spend time with him, which is firstly that not all magic is real, which is a real shame. But secondly, he's almost thinks like a, an engineer in the way that he he, you know, he's got to work out how to make something appear or disappear. Uh, he's got to learn how to mind read you. And then you learn that, you know, what is it, what's underneath him is he's this incredible kind of understands human beings. He can read body, you know, his body language, his psychology of human beings. And then he's an engineer. He understands stagecraft. He understands how to use light, sound as distraction as much as. Uh, and then you start to think, well, wait a minute, as experienced creators, the world of magic shows and theatre have been doing this for decades and we've never tapped into their experience to say, well, how can you kind of layer on our world? What you learn is when you bring these great people in that, so you've got, you have this, one of the guys who heads up our innovation, um, phenomenally interesting guy. He started as a chemical engineer. He built chemical plants. He then went around the innovation for, for the fat duck for Heston, uh, became a chef, uh, and now combines this incredible world of of understanding, you know, how to engineering, so to speak, with food. So when you bring people like that into your project, there are certain things which you think can't happen that can happen. You know, with simple science, um, science, you can make um, liquids freeze, you can make liquids change colour, you can make objects levitate. Although his, it's still one idea that he hasn't been able to do for me yet is we've all seen when the space shuttle went, you know, when, when go out go into space and how they consume food and drink when they're in space. And I think it would be amazing to be able to levitate kind of molecules of liquid at a bar. Because if we did in this environment, we don't want to touch glassware. We can levitate flavoured molecules at the bar and you can just lean forward and engulf it. That's, now, the problem is he's told me we'd either have to build an entire anti-gravitational chamber which i've heard um, yeah, they're, they're they're rather expensive i've been told or you have a place to do it so um partner with nasa could that be the next one i think that might be we'll, we'll make hopefully make a success of this first one and then uh, also the subtlety of storytelling isn't always about you know great big expensive engineering feats it's about the kind of subtle you know almost you don't notice moments of of did that happen really do that you know something disappears something appears it's like in movies big budgets don't naturally make the best movies that's true that's true sometimes when you have to be a little bit nimble or the restrictions can encourage a different form of innovation and creativity there can be benefits to both absolutely where else do you turn to for inspiration and ideas it sounds like a lot of it is sort of within you or already internal yeah, I, I, and again, I think that we've all got it in us and it's, you know, sometimes I'm watching movies and I'll start making notes on the movie because you're like, that's an amazing idea. Imagine if we could bring that to life. Sometimes you've just got to actually sit back and enjoy it. But it's, I think it's, as I got older, I've become more aware of 
the fact that I want to learn more. And by learning and reading and, and watching and understanding other people's craft, in turn, fuels your own, your own creativity. And I think, you know, that's a lot of hard work. You don't really switch off. And that's probably, I wish when I was younger, I'd kind of understood that a little bit more. You know, I read a lot, probably spend sometimes too many hours, what, you know, going from YouTube clip to YouTube clip to YouTube, as you go on the kind of almost, you've probably done it yourself, this journey, right? And you're like, how did I find myself here? At, you know, to I'm in some deep, dark place. This, I need to leave. <laughs> Enough's enough. Like, let's forget that day. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and, and then I think, you know, for us, the kind of now, we've been very fortunate. We've got the most incredible partner in Warner Brothers who are world leaders in storytelling and experiences. And they brought us into their world, which has been quite amazing because it, it allows you to kind of see what is going on in the movie world. Some of the technology, um, some of the stuff they're using in their theme parks, going and meeting their creators of the designers. And, and then once you start to kind of peel back these layers, you start to realise my goodness, we we have been in our own little bubble, in our own little sector, and there is so much kind of stuff still to be unearthed. What's been the, the biggest surprise you've had from working with the world of Warner Brothers? They've been such kind of entrepreneurs in their own right. And to give us the kind of space and support to kind of go wide, go high, nothing is crazy. We speak, you know, we speak once a week purely on just kind of creative ideas i was about to say silly ideas normally because that's me telling them i've got this we want to build a a 13 foot umbrella that kind of has champagne coming out of it and they go okay that's um we can we can we can talk about that um you just say no yeah you just reframe it exactly they're brilliant at reframe but they've been yeah i can't i can't say enough how they have been so supportive of kind of crazy ideas also on that have there been any ideas that have been turned down? They've said to you, James, that's just one step too far. We're not able to do that. Like what's the wildest idea that you've presented them with? The wildest idea that we've proposed to one of us. Um, there, there's been a few. I'm still hoping one or two of them might occur. So I'll be careful about what I say. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> let me think about one. Well, look, certainly one that won't be occurring. And unfortunately, that's not because of the kind of pandemic we've just experienced. But in, in, in an element of Park Row, which is the concept we're building in London uh, for DC Comics, uh, we have a thing called the Rogues Gallery. And it's a gallery. So we built an art gallery in our, in our building. And, and I had wanted uh, the ability to, halfway through your course, you get up and there is a series of paintings around the room. One which you, you know, it maybe is with your whiskey course. So you can lick the painting in the art, art gallery and it will, you know, complement or taste of uh, whatever you're licking. Then you move to the next painting and it would be a scent diffuser. The next one where you reach into that painting and it's still life apart from one element that you pick out and you eat. But I think certainly in this, the environment we're moving into, I think having lickable paintings within a restaurant experience is going to be slightly challenging (laughs) it actually reminds me of the moving paintings in harry potter but you've actually just made a better version because you've made them taste delicious so i think you've just upped jk rowling there's still elements of that idea that might still make it into the rogues gallery i just think unfortunately having a queue of people 
looking to lick a whiskey painting um, may, may be one step too far currently. Um, Not really tweeny tweeny vibe. No, no, it's kind of there's a, there's a number of those ideas which unfortunately have uh, have disappeared. The other one was that we wanted to do was within the the DC world there was the Monarch Theatre. Um, so we built the Monarch Theatre within our our space, but our Monarch Theatre is a complete projection mapped the four walls. We can control the temperature, the sound, the smell, the taste when you're in that wall, and it's a ten course tasting um, menu which yeah we take you through the psychology of of heroism but through the taste of food and and, and the multi-sensory and um, we wanted to be able to not have any staff within that 10 courses which i think unfortunately we've 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 we failed on that when the room blacked out the the table in the middle of the room would sink down through the floor kind of slide out underneath <laughs> be relayed slide back in and kind of uh, re reappear in the room so um i think our budget unfortunately curtailed that one wow i mean it's insane to think about having no staff and a 10 course meal so here we are in 2020 and obviously everything in the world has changed and i'm wondering what this has meant for you as a business and your strategy for wonderland like has that changed because from what I'm seeing, it feels like this year may have polarized people. Some people might now want to go and have these dining experiences that are even more memorable or special. And for other people, maybe this year has shown them that they are actually really content and happy having more introverted dining experiences and, you know, their home, for example. So it's interesting to think about that from a business lens. So what's your take on 2020's impact on on Wonderland and the future of dining really. I feel like I've had this amazing period which you don't normally get in business where you can sit down with a blank piece of paper and go right what have I done right what have I done wrong things are changing right now how are they changing how can we be a solution to those changes and um, I would say in a fortunate way we believe that Wonderland now is quite well positioned to, to kind of move forward quite quickly. Experiences were, were a massively already look on the radar pre-COVID. I think what that has done from a food and drink perspective is you're absolutely right. People are going to go, still go out, but they're going to want to have an amazing, memorable, shared experience. And therefore, some restaurants or some offerings that are in existence, you know, don't do that. They were there just selling very bog basic kind of offering what's at the core of what we do is exceptional kind of food and drink storytelling um so that even if you're not massively you know you're not a fan of gotham city and batman and wonder woman all this it doesn't matter you get to go to this kind of bar where your liquid your cocktail will freeze over immediately in front of your eyes and 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 you'll get to you know stand under this pipe that i'm building in in the back case staircase and it's our version of you, you can lick the flavor molecules that come out. And what does fear taste like? So we're trying to take you on this kind of almost gastronomic amusement park rides through this world. And um, I think that, you know, consumers want something different. They want to be pushed. What does fear taste like? Good question. It, uh, very difficult to describe. There is a particular flavor molecule that is associated with uh, that kind of sharpness of almost it kind of goes very compliments kind of scary movies it's 
kind of got a dull, it's very difficult to, to describe. I almost don't want to describe it. So you have to come and you have to do it. I mean, you don't have to ask me twice. I'm very available. (laughs) So you've also met some of the best chefs in the world over the years, and you're also really passionate about the chefing industry itself. I'm wondering what it's like behind the scenes, because there are so many stories out there on how brutal and, and tough it can be. I've never actually worked in the front of house or the back of house of a restaurant. (laughs) Um, I have run restaurants, but I do the easy part. For the people who work in this industry, it's an incredibly kind of sometimes isolated world in that you as a chef spend 16 hours a day in a very dark environment. Uh, Kitchens have got a lot better over the last 10 years, but you are working when everyone else is partying. And that is there. You know, that's a you, you have to be an individual who can kind of cope with that or want to provide for other people. I have told our chefs that I will be doing um, some shifts in the kitchen when we open next year. I'll probably send out a tweet so people know what nights not to come, just in case I'm cooking. So um, there was a great, a, a good, good friend of mine, a good chef called Marcus Waring. I wrote a book in 2010 called Yes Chef, where with another James, and we got the opportunity to write kind of almost a snapshot of what a great time was occurring in the world of food. And we went and interviewed all these great chefs. And it was about, for me, trying to get under their skin and understand what drives them, what drives them to want to go and spend 20 hours bent over a hot stove kind of cooking. You know, I I knew very quickly, I didn't probably have the the mental or physical skill sets to, to succeed. And Marcus very kindly offered me the opportunity to come and work in his kitchen for a day. Uh, but after describing it to me, it sounded like I would rather have gone and done the SAS training that, um, because it sounded slightly easier. <laughs> so, um... Is there a story that you have or a chef that you have in mind who's really pushed all boundaries when it comes to food and drink? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is right now there's a gentleman called Grant Ashatz in the US who created a restaurant called Alinea and he created the edible helium balloon which hopefully people What that was Yeah so it, it, is, more. it is amazing I mean so when you go to Alinea it is it is like going to the theater so you all have to arrive at the same time if you're late like in a theater you're not coming in and then you go on this kind of magical dinner exploration of the of the beginning of all stories and 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 mike specialized in levitational foods <laughs> um but in essence he created this uh, edible helium balloon losing kind of an apple um taste to it so you know it comes out sits on your and then you you know you have the ability to kind of swallow whole um a balloon um which is totally different, but the difference is when they when you genuinely understand your craft and and how to match flavors they made it taste as 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 good as it could be and it was they kind of sensorially transported you to um to another world and i wonder also for restaurants and experiences like those so much of that is about the surprise and for people to know this is an amazing dining experience and you should go to this restaurant but at the same time how do you keep the the bits and yeah so that everybody can experience that same totally and 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 i I suffer from that because i want to tell people about everything we're doing 
And then I have, yeah. uh, we have our internal head of communications, a gentleman called Stuart, who, who is constantly on my left shoulder going, you know, no, part of the excitement is you not telling me. Part of the excitement is that surprise. So leave it to people to come in and, and then ask questions off the back of it. James, what do you hope the impact of, of your work will be? What I would like from Wonderland is it to become kind of the world's leading food um, and drink entertainment innovation studios. Um, we've just created a new business. I can't say too much about it with Warner Brothers. We've just agreed. Uh, I probably shouldn't even say that now, but I will. Um, and it is, it is Wonka Vision. So it is, you know, very basically, I always wanted to be able to reach into the TV screen or the movie screen and pull out the foods and drinks from your favorite movies. I won't say any more than that. We are now entering into the final word section of the podcast. So, James, what other profession would you like to have? Well, either I would love to have been a secret agent, but I talk too much, so that wouldn't have worked, or absolutely would love to have been a professional sportsman. But no, I, I think, you know, where my uh, Wonderland vision has kind of gone, if people might have noticed it, it, there, it follows the kind of movie studio model and playing with big TV movie franchises. And, and it, even though I say I haven't given up on this ambition yet, but um, one of the gentlemen, and he's actually my best friend, we went to school together and he works for me, a guy called Ben. Um, we still right now... Um, working on a script <laughs> i think we've been working on it for about eight years but it's one of those things we keep saying if we make a success of wonderland one day we'd love you know if warner brothers uh in the other divisions are listening um it would be great one day to uh, <laughs> give me a call <laughs> i'm here i'm around very <laughs> available I, it makes so much sense i so see that for you could you describe your industry in three words um entrepreneurial hardworking and um i mean i i have to say creative it is it is you know i mean look every industry would say that and, I, and that's why i genuinely believe is every industry is creative what i feel about our sector is historically how restaurants occurred would be you know a lot of it was families moving from different cultures different countries wanting to share elements of their world food and restaurants allow culture to kind of very much spread globally. Some of the things I know about certain countries are purely because of a restaurant experience that I may have gone to. James, what are you not very good at? Unbel- well, uh, the doing side, um, <laughs> remembering there is a budget. The other bit I'm trying to get better at is, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's teamwork. It is being able to trust other people with your vision or with everyone's vision it sounds really silly doesn't it but it's the reality is most of my team are far better at doing everything than I am that's why they're there you know other than that I'd say my wife just would like me to log off a little bit mentally and be a bit more in the room what is a song you'll never get sick of I did have a think about this earlier and I was thinking um that for me, it's it's mostly um, movie theme tunes, and again, it, it, it's it's a sad day. Why am I not surprised? This yeah. is great. All my you know Rocky theme tunes, James Bond theme tunes. Um, yeah, I'm I'm all about soundtracks. What is your greatest fear? Um, actually, my biggest fear is failing, 
but it's but it is because I don't want to let other people down the parents your family the people who work ultimately work for you and have have kind of made that kind of leap of of faith into kind of you know following you on this kind of bizarre journey there's that wonderful uh, youtube clip of that crazy guy dancing in a field and everyone's like he's crazy but then when that second person joins that third person joins and then the fourth person joins all of a sudden they don't look crazy anymore it's amazing how that's the same for so many different people regardless of their industry or career and it's funny even though we know that it's inevitable in some parts of our lives we're still fearful of it um, Absolutely. but it's great I think that we can be more open about that as well and you're right it is inevitable and it, and actually I've I've failed more times than I can think of yeah you're going to fail every day things are going to go wrong you've got to get used to that I think the stronger you are and the more used to kind of picking yourself up and going again so that, you know that's where I think you can learn I love kind of understanding the psychology of sportsmen um, you know Nadal and Roger Federer were the best at this in that the last point didn't exist didn't matter whether they won it or lost it it was gone to them it's in the past it was all about winning that next point and and the true greats within sport have that ability to learn from it move on do it again go again go again until you get it right um and if you believe in it you're going to be passionate excited about it you'll get there uh, mm. you have belief and you can see your life in different, uh, with a series of different stepping stones almost. I remember Steve Jobs used to always say, well, not always say, he said it once in one commencement speech to Harvard, I think, or Stanford. And it was, you often can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can always connect them looking backwards and see how those different failures and those different events all led to exactly where you are now. And, you know, him getting kicked out of Apple, for example, and then going and sitting in lecture theatres learning about typography because he, he just found that interesting for no other reason. He had no idea how that would make a mark on, on Apple. What quality do you most like in another person? Um, the ability to say no, <laughs> which I have a lot of them now. Um, no, I, I love passion, excitement. You watch their eyes widen. You watch their kind of speech kind of start going uncontrollable but I try to tell you to everyone all the time just enjoy I want this journey to be fun I want us all kind of constantly thinking oh that that would be great for the book one day that would be great for the you know those moments what I love looking into the people in the team is that moment where there that kind of excitement comes out kind of bubbles out you're speaking to 16 year old James what would you say to him keep daydreaming um, and, and make sure whatever you want to do, you are passionate and excited about doing it. Because if you're, if you're excited about doing it, you'll be good at it. And I think, you know, we had a very traditional kind of educational path, you know, which is you, you've got to do well in your GCSEs, A-levels, go get your degree, go get your master's, go get a job in investment banking. And I would say to them, don't worry quite so much about that conventional route. It's not the be all and end all that something is that that kind of really stokes your fire every day and gets you out of bed that's great what did you what did you say to your 16 year old self listen to your gut instinct yeah that's it's right and you can hear it so yeah. don't ignore it and there's a reason why it's called the gut instinct right which is you know the gut as we now know is very much our 
second brain. And we can learn about that more so at Wonderland restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. We need 21. See you there. Yeah, indeed. Well, James, it's been such a pleasure to have you on Hatch. I've loved this conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hatch. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to Hatch wherever it is that you listen. It makes every difference. See you again next week for another episode. Bye.